see, the truth of the matter is, for all of us, temptation is crippling. And the voice of lies around us that tells us you're not enough and you never will be. You can't fix this mess. You can't change your situation. Just settle in and get comfortable. This will never go away. These voices, these lies that we often are told, we only address those when we hear the truth. The truth that comes directly from God. It says, you are my beloved son, daughter, in you, I'm well pleased. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is good to be here with each of you this morning. As we continue our series called Silence and Solitude, all about this practice of how we orient our time to be with Jesus. I just want to start with two very wise and wonderful words from my childhood. Hakuna Matata. (laughs) If you're not sure what that means, it means no worries for the rest of your day. All right? Hakuna Matata. Anybody in here remember when that movie came out? This might age me a little bit, but I was uh, just a little kid, and I really remember that was probably one of the first movies I ever saw in theater. And then it was definitely the first movie I owned on VHS, and it was awesome. Lion King, right? If you don't know the movie, where have you been for the last 25 years? But if you don't know it, let me just catch you up. Lion King is the story of a little lion, uh, Simba, who gets tricked into believing that he has accidentally killed his dad. And in doing so, he runs for his life afraid. And the one who tricked him was his uncle who wanted the power to be the king himself. And Simba, afraid and thinking he's going to die, is thankfully rescued by the least likely people to befriend a little lion, Simone and Pumbaa, a meerkat and a pig, a warthog. Timon? Thank you. I knew I would get that wrong. Timon and Pumbaa. Anyway, they have this phrase, Hakuna Matata, which means no worries. They have this attitude about life, to just roll through life, taking it one day at a time with no responsibility and no care and no burdens. And every single time, he starts to get a little bit reminiscent of the past and of his pain. Remind Hakuna Matata. And then there's this awesome scene, you know, the pivotal moment where he realizes he has to face the truth. And in this awesome scene, there's this great chase where he's chasing a baboon, because why not, right? And then the baboon's like, I know your father. And he goes, correction, you knew my father. I'm sorry to say that. He's like, no, 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 I know your father. He's still alive. Let me show you. 
And then he goes running off into the woods, and there's another chase, and then this lion comes to a stop at a reflection pool. You guys know the scene, right? He comes to the stop, and he looks, and he doesn't see his father. He sees himself. And then there's this great moment where you hear the voice of James Earl Jones coming from the clouds, remember, remember who you are. And and he's calling him like, you can't live this life of irresponsibility any longer. There are people counting on you. There are people desperate. Well, in their case, they were animals, right? But they were personified. Let me clarify. There are animals dependent upon you and your leadership. And you can only be who you are, you can only do what you've been made to do when you remember who you are. And it's this great, powerful scene, and you're filled with like, oh, even as a kid when I really didn't understand any of the significance. And then, of course, the humor of the movie comes in, and the movie continues. It's a great, great movie. But I love that scene. Remember who you are. See, as we set out to practice silence and solitude, last week we talked about how sometimes silence and solitude can be really, really difficult. And it can be really, really uncomfortable, specifically because silence and solitude forces us to experience the emotions we've been running from. It forces us to experience the things we maybe wanted to tuck away and say, this is not part of who I am, or I don't need to face that. If I bury it long enough, eventually it will go away. But when we take intentional and consistent time alone in silence with God, all of that begins to well up. And not only those emotions, oftentimes that time in silence begins to remind us of all the ways we haven't been who we want to be. All the things we haven't done we should have done or the things we wish we hadn't done that we can't undo. All the times when we failed and didn't measure up. Also, all the lies that maybe we've been believing. See, whether you know it or not, we also, like Simba, have an enemy who has whispered in our ear a whole host of lies. For Simba, it was his uncle, you killed him, run. For each one of us, we have the devil, this enemy of ours who whispers to us all of our failures, some of them true and some of them false, whispers to us all of the ways we are never going to be enough and tells us, run. Run from your responsibility. Run from your actions. Run from letting other people in. Don't let anybody ever know who you've been or what you've done because if you do that, everything will fall apart. And yet when we stop for time in silence and solitude, those lies that maybe we didn't even know we've been believing that have been shaping the way we live and the things we do, that have been giving us an opportunity to escape from all the responsibility and the obligation and even the opportunities in front of us. When we pause in silence and solitude, we can begin to hear that voice of God say, remember who you are. And so today we're gonna begin with Matthew chapter three. 
If you would like to follow along with Matthew chapter three and you have one of the Bibles in front of you or upstairs on the tables, it's page 1009. Matthew chapter three, it's a story you've probably heard before. We're gonna begin in verse 13. But in order to understand what's happening in verse 13, let me just back up for just a moment. We're gonna begin with verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist, the slightly older cousin of Jesus, comes out, and if you know anything about John, he's a very bizarre guy. Like, he preaches a message most of us wouldn't want to preach. Repent, over and over and over again, repent. Not only this, he eats like locusts and honey, and he dresses in weird clothes. He's kind of a strange religious zealot. You're like, what in the world? But, but I love this, that in those days he comes preaching, and it says he's preaching in the wilderness. And just a fun little fact for you, the Greek word there that's used for wilderness is the same Greek word that's used when Jesus goes away to desolate places. When Jesus goes away to lonely places, places of solitude. So John comes on the scene, he starts preaching in a place that was generally reserved for being alone, for getting away from everything. Like imagine taking a retreat to go camping and you set up your tent and you're all by yourself and you're like, this is gonna be so peaceful. And then somebody comes next to you and is like, let me tell you, sinner, I've got something for you, repent. <laughs> Would it be the thing you wanted in the moment? But there in that place of solitude, in that place of loneliness, he begins to preach. And this is where Jesus comes on. He's preaching a baptism and he's telling everybody, you should be baptized, which literally means to be washed. You should be washed clean. And there was this practice of ceremonial washings where if you had done something wrong or been around the wrong person or maybe you thought about doing something wrong, then you should come and you should be washed and made clean. And that physical washing would remind you that God has you covered. It's okay. And then you could go back to all of your previous lifestyle, hopefully leaving your sin behind. But if you didn't, you just come and be washed clean again. And so John is preaching about this, and into this place Jesus arrives, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? Why would Jesus, the man who's without sin, come to be washed clean of all his sin? Doesn't he know the image that might give? Other people going, oh, what sin did he commit that we don't know about? Oh, what's he repenting of, that terrible person? Doesn't he know that he doesn't need this, like he's above all of this? John's a little confused, says, you, I shouldn't be cleaning you. You see, there's another part of baptism for John that's important to note. In those ceremonial washings, you had to be baptized by somebody who was also ceremonially clean, which meant somebody who was living this holy, upright life, somebody who was closer to God and better in faith than you are. And John sees Jesus come along and says, I can't baptize you. Like, I'm not better than you. I haven't, I've certainly sinned more, and I need cleaning myself. But Jesus, he says, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. 
Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew recounts the story as if Jesus alone hears this voice. He sees this vision. He heard this voice. But the other gospels, they recounted as the other people hearing it as well, as something they witnessed too and they were confused by. What does this mean that they would see the spirit of God coming down upon him and then hear these words, behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What happens immediately after this is what Adam talked about a couple weeks ago. Jesus is led into the wilderness, into the solitary, lonely, desolate place, into that place of retreat and difficulty and challenge. Immediately after God speaks to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, God takes him to a season of challenge and difficulty where ultimately he ends up being tempted in great ways. I think it's no accident that this happens where it happens in the story. See, in Jesus' ministry, as he's going to the people and he's proclaiming God, as he's preaching the truth, as he's helping people see that scriptures were being fulfilled right in front of their eyes, all of this great purpose and mission only comes from one place, the place of a solid identity, secure in God. Now, I don't know, scripture never tells us this, I don't know if Jesus ever wrestled with identity questions. But it says he was tempted in every way that we are. And so I imagine, like most of us, there were times when Jesus wasn't quite sure that his father was actually on the right path. Like, are you sure that's the case? I trust you no matter what. Like, you say this, and yet, look at this world. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I imagine it. See, which one of us has not at some point wrestled with, who am I? Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Can I go about what God has called me to do and do it well? Who am I? Jesus, he comes down to this river in this desolate, solitary place to be baptized. And when he is, God speaks. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You today need to hear this same promise. You see, the truth of the matter is, for all of us, temptation is crippling. And the voice of lies around us that tells us you're not enough and you never will be. You can't fix this mess, you can't change your situation, just settle in and get comfortable. This will never go away. These voices, these lies that we often are told, we only address those when we hear the truth. The truth that comes directly from God. It says, you are my beloved son, daughter. In you, I'm well pleased. Imagine taking time by yourself this week and sitting there with all of your pain, all of your hurt, all of the things that aren't quite right, all of the times you're wondering, how do I get better? How do I fix this? Where do I go from here? 
Imagine hearing the voice of God speak directly to you. You are mine, and I'm proud of you. In you, I'm pleased. We can imagine this because it's not a far reality. In fact, in Galatians chapter four, it says this, if you put it up there. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, under, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I'll get to the next couple verses here in a moment. That we might receive adoption as sons. You see, you and I, through Jesus, have been adopted by God. We are his children. I have four sisters, one of them biological and three of them adopted, but I still have four sisters. The three that are adopted are not partial sisters. They're not sort of sisters. They're not sometimes my sisters, though sometimes they wish I wasn't their brother, but that's a different thing, right? No, they are completely, by adoption, my sisters. They always will be. There are times we fight and we don't see eye to eye. There are times we go a long period of time without talking, and yet they're still my sisters. Through Jesus, by the spirit of adoption, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You have been called a child of God. You still are right now in whatever you're walking through, a child of God. And as a child of God, an heir with Jesus to all that God has promised to everything that he has said he will do. You are his. And the reason we need silence and solitude is because the world wants us to believe anything other than that reality. The world wants us to believe anything other than who we are as his child. You see, if we're his child, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. And if we're his child, every promise he has spoken is true. Every gift he has given is for us, for you. And so when we walk through those dark times, when we find ourselves facing our own reflection in the mirror, wondering, what are you doing? And how did you get here? And where do you go next? We have a place to hear this voice. Remember who you are. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And then a little bit later at the end of the chapter, it gives this promise, and I love this. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. See, when we take time to sit in the silent, quiet place by ourselves, away from the distractions and the busyness and the crazy of this world, when we spend time to simply sit, say, God, here I am. Now what? 
He will remind us of who you are. You are his. And anytime your heart condemns you, anytime those sins you confessed earlier come back and rear their ugly head, anytime your depression, your anxiety, your stress, your worry, anytime your life is just falling to pieces, that silent place, you can remember that when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. He knows more than your heart. And this is what he knows, that he sent his son, Jesus, his beloved son, in whom he was well pleased, and he sent him to suffer and die, and on the third day to rise again from the dead, so that all in him have hope that we too are children of God. If you are here today and you have been baptized, there's this promise in scripture that baptism is almost like marriage. Anybody in here married? Or maybe you once were? For me, I was married on April 6, 2013. If you're ever curious that date, ask me, not my wife, she'll forget. She knows it was April, but that's about it. April 6th, I was married, but you know what happened? That one moment in time changed me forever, and now today, I still am one who is married. You and I, if you have been baptized like Jesus, you have been given this promise that you are a child of God. And so when faith is in question and your doubts rise and you find yourself filled with all kinds of sin, malice, evil, envy, all kinds of things you don't know how to shake, you can come back to this promise. God has claimed you. And he still does. And when he adopts, he never returns. You are his. And when your faith is in doubt, you say, do I believe enough? because my life certainly doesn't look like it. Remember, it's not about you, but what he has done for you, what he has given to you, what he still is giving to you as his child. In the movie The Lion King, what happens after Simba is reminded of who he is. He's filled with the strength and the confidence to take on a really difficult task, the task of going back and rescuing the whole kingdom, going back and redeeming them all through fighting this one who is evil, through standing up against the lies and speaking the truth. And he's filled with the courage to do what needs to be done. For you and I, when we remember our baptism, when we remember what God has done, when we remember this promise that he has claimed us as his children, we can be filled with that same strength, that same confidence, that same hope, that whatever battle may come, whatever challenge lies ahead, whatever plans God has for you, even if you don't know them yet, he will see them through because he's always faithful and he's always good. So this week I wanna challenge you to take a moment to stop the noise, turn off the TV or the phone or the iPad, turn off the distractions, set yourself in a quiet place and ask this really tough question. God, who do you say I am? 
Just sit. And then after that question, ask this one. God, who have I wrongly believed I am? See, when we believe lies, it's hard to see what God has for us. When we trust in this promise that we've been made his children, we can do whatever he asks, and it'll happen. Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you invite us today to remember who we are. We are not the sum of our mistakes or our failures or our sorrows. We're not the circumstance we're walking through or the pain we've left behind. God, we're not our, our failure to do what you've called us to do. We are your children. Nothing will separate us from that. And because you have given us the spirit of adoption, you've called us to be yours, you've made us your own. Because of this, all of your goodness and your faithfulness and your promises are for us. Even in times of difficulty and sorrow and pain, teach us today to hear that voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. May we be filled with strength and confidence for whatever may come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship now, we're going to do so by collecting an offering. If you came prepared to give today and you'd like to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back as you leave. If you filled out one of those physical connect cards so we can pray with you, so that we can connect with you this week, you can put those in the bucket as well. Uh, if you filled them out online, they're We'll get that, okay? Um, and if you would prefer to give online, if that's how you came prepared to give today, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. So this is the part where usually the questions you text in, I do my best to respond. You said you had something you want to so show people? So I was not under, I did not know that we were going to have a Lion King illustration. And it was really important to me that everyone knows how deep, deep my love for the Lion King goes. <laughs> deep. Simba was my very first crush. It's fair. The so, best part is I think I had that one there on your left over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I had that same stuffed animal. <laughs> yeah. I, that's awesome. Thank you for that, Emily. Yes, yes. Uh, so now we get to respond to your questions. Uh, we believe questions are a healthy part of faith and a healthy part of growing with God. So what questions do we have today? Yeah, we uh, only have questions from one person, but they sent a handful. Um, cool. So let's, well, I think we'll take it one, one by one Perfect. instead of throwing them all. So how do the promises of God extend to those who have to work on the Sabbath to sustain themselves and their families? What are practical ways to make time when there is none? Yeah, great question. Uh, the Sabbath does not need to be Sunday. As Seventh-day Adventists say, they, they believe it has to be Saturday. So the Sabbath originally was uh, Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown. That's still when Orthodox Jews practice it today. And the reason for that is they said that was the end of the week. Um, and their days started with the sun going down and ended with the sun going down, whereas ours starts with the sun rising and ends with the sun going down, right? And, and so... Um, that changed really early on because the early church said, well, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning and it was morning, so we should worship in the same fashion. 
And that's where we got the idea of worshiping on Sunday. It doesn't matter what day of the week you take a Sabbath. Uh, what matters is that your Sabbath is a day set apart. It's not just a day where you sleep the whole day or a day where you get all your chores done and do all the stuff you need to do. It's a day where you stop some of the busyness and you rest. Uh, last November, we did a six-week series, I think, maybe four-week. We did a series about Sabbath, so you can go to thepointknocks.com and hear a little bit more about practical tips of how do you do that Sabbath uh, a different day of the week if you want. Love that. Um, the next question was, how do you honor your mother and father if they have toxic behavior patterns? Is speaking against them an unjust honor, unjust dishonor, just because they bore me? Because they bore you. Oh, bore you like gave birth to you. Okay. I was like. Uh, actually, I did not get that. So yeah, that was how, yeah. yeah, okay. Not, not that, yeah, okay. So I got you. Um, <laughs> our parents are broken and sinful just like we are. Uh, every one of us is broken and sinful, and so our parents will say and do things or encourage things that may not be honoring God. And I think the best way you can honor your mother and father, even if what they're doing is ungodly, uh, is by submitting to Jesus, by humbly seeking to love and serve them uh, when necessary and possible, speaking the truth, but doing it in love. I know more often than not with parents, it's really easy to speak the truth because they need to hear it, or at least it's the truth I think they need to hear. Um, so you can speak the truth, but do so lovingly. You can also honor them by setting up clear boundaries and say, this is what God has said in his word, and this is how I'm going to live my life, and I would like you to be a part of this with me in these ways. Um, ultimately, there may come a time, Jesus said, you may have to leave your mother and father um, to follow him. Honoring Jesus, following Jesus might mean if they're going in a different direction that's unhealthy, don't follow them. And that's okay. Those are all the questions. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for not being too difficult today. <laughs> uh, you guys are great. As always, you can text these questions in any week or any time during the week. Uh, if I see them early enough in the week, I'll respond to them uh, midweek on social media. Otherwise, we'll respond to them next week. But so that you don't forget, send them in anytime. The number is at thepointknox.com. So now with that, is there any other thing that we need to do? There's one more thing I think it's important to say. Um, first, it's Kylie Schmid's 15th birthday. So that's yeah. important if you see her. She's upstairs she's in the balcony, super embarrassed in yeah. the red right now. She's in a kid's and point shirt, so... And the second thing is Pastor Adam's birthday is tomorrow, That's right? True. So yes. also bombard him with all that your love. And in my connect group, we have somebody who has a birthday on Wednesday. And so on Thursday when we're meeting, we're having cake for both of us. Yes. It's going to be awesome. So. Yeah. So uh, with that. that. That's all. That, that's, that's it. it. Okay. Yeah. Birthdays are fun. <laughs> hey, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.